Uh, before we get into the Word of God this morning, it um, seems like everybody with a microphone is saying something about the coronavirus, so this is my turn. Um, at present, I would just say, uh, if you're sick, stay home. Um, use the soap we have. Use the hand sanitizers we've always had. Know that we're washing, cleaning the church between uh, large events like we always do, bathrooms especially, and uh, you know, even between services, sanitizing kids in the nursery like we've always done. So that's what I would say at present. If, if there was some things that spread to Michigan where you know, meeting in large groups was, was not what, uh, what we're supposed to do, we won't do it, but uh, we will see the power of small groups. We will see the power of maybe even some digital environments that we can connect with each other in. Um, so regardless, um, there's a great quote that says this, wash your hands and say your prayers because Jesus and germs are everywhere. So that's, you know, wash your hands, say your prayers. That's, that's really um, what, what we want you to know. I am more qualified to talk about Jesus than germs, um, but, uh, you know, do, do things regardless. Donate blood like you should, buy some Campbell's soup like you should, um, all those good things. So um, talking about Jesus rather than germs, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 1, going through verse 8. We would love to see Jesus go viral in our community. We would love to see his love and his kingdom expand exponentially. Um, this week, I went to a conference with Pastor Marv called Exponential, all about how can we become a multiplying church, not just adding on, but seeing God's love grow around in our community and, and elsewhere, that we could be ascending church, not just a church like, wow, they have seating capacity. No, we have ascending capacity. That's some of our goal. So uh, Marv and I suffered for the Lord in Orlando, Florida for a few days this week. It was really a good time for even our relationship, but other relationships we made with other brothers and sisters around the world and just some time with, with God. And so um, the focus was um, on the great collaboration. You've maybe heard of the Great Commission. Jesus said, go and make disciples. As you're going, make disciples, teach them, baptize them, and, and surely I'll be with you, right? Then there's the Great Commandment, or so we've called it, or maybe the Golden Rule, love God, love others. But in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed that we would be one that there would be a great collaboration, not just in our church, but of churches around the globe together, together. And so this week, our focus is we're reading this book, maybe you are, maybe you aren't, the book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life, or What on Earth Am I Here For? The focus is on the service in the church and how God has shaped us differently for unity. He didn't shape us all the same like we're a bunch of square blocks in Tetris that, that just would line up together and fit. But we are shaped differently. And there is unity that does not look like uniformity. And so we're going to read in Romans chapter 12, maybe a couple of verses you're familiar with, and then getting into some that maybe are not as familiar. So starting at verse 1 of Romans chapter 12, Paul writes to a church in Rome. That's why it's called Romans, um, this apostle this leader in the church, starter of churches, this pioneer, this great theologian, this one who has quite a story of, of being somebody who, who, who was somewhat of a religious terrorist, has an experience with God. And so he writes to the capital of the Western world, the church in Rome, these words, starting in verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy... 
to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each one of us, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's Teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Now we're going to look particularly at verses 3 through 8. They're kind of on topic. But really they're there. Because of, of verses 1 and 2. Our relationship with God living Loved by God, loved by him first, before, while we were dead in our transgressions, as a gift of salvation, we grow in our, in our worship, in our fellowship, our, our, our discipleship, serving him and telling others the good news. God has invited us to join his family. I mean, he's the king. He's the creator he is the one who just says stuff and stuff happens. Not just stuff happens, things come out of nothing. And that same God invites us to be his children. I hope you're not tone deaf to hearing that. That we get to be children of the king. That we can receive this gift by faith. God wants to expand his kingdom, grow his kingdom, his influence, where his rule and reign, where, where it exists here on earth, is in our hearts. There's no longer a temple that God dwells in or a tabernacle that could be carried around with tent poles. You are God's temple. And so God has entrusted his kingdom. He's established the church to carry this hope, to serve the mission of the kingdom, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world. And so church-wide, just as, 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 as individually we grow in, in our worship, in our fellowship, in our evangelism, telling the good news, in our discipleship, and in our service. So our goal as a church is to seek and save the lost. Our goal is to, to help people grow in that relationship with God. I, I think so many times we think that seeing somebody get saved is the only time we think we've succeeded in evangelism, sharing the good news of Christ. But you know, there are some people who, if, you know, if there is a number line of how close you are to God and being on the positive side is a good thing, being above zero is where you want to be, there are people who are minus four. They really are. They're militant against the faith. 
And sometimes just great evangelism with them is just loving on them. They, they, they want to hate you, but you say to them, you're going to have to hate somebody who likes you. That's sharing the good news. And they might move to a minus three. And so often we get discouraged and think like, well, I, I want them to be a one. I want them to be a Christian, a baby Christian. It's just good that they moved a little bit, right? That growing relationship with Jesus. Some people have a terrible relationship with him. But are we moving them in the right direction? This is, this is why the church exists. It's not so we can have a nice Sunday morning. So we know what day it is. Have you ever, for me, if I miss church on Sunday, I'm like, what day is it? It's like jet lag and I didn't even leave the country. I don't know if up is down or down is up. Like, what day is it? But we exist for more than that. We meet on the first day of the week because Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. Mm, yeah, you don't have to say amen. Just that mm would be okay. But, but it's not just about Sunday. For some of you, that's the thought is the church is just about Sunday. Or maybe you have this idealized version of the church that's like um, Andy Griffith goes to that church, right? Like it's this, this Mayberry picture of what church would look like. And your, your hope is, can we just go back? Can we just go back to how church was in the 1960s? You know, most Christian thinkers in America would say that we live in a post-Christian culture. That is, not just to say that like people, um, they don't know anything about Christianity. That's, that's at least one measurement, is you could say like, people don't know about Adam and Eve, Noah and the ark, David and Goliath, we would maybe say, like those are kind of like simple Bible things to know about, right? Like, like the, the cross and the little man on it, we know his name, right? Like, you know, there's, there's some measurement there of are we in a post-Christian culture. But I like what Russell Moore says. He says, I don't think there's a golden age in the past where there has ever been a nostalgic Christian society. Every generation has manifested fallenness and brokenness just in different ways. There are different challenges in each generation. But they're always there. He believes that we are now in a post-pretend Christian society. I mean, people used to pretend a little bit. There was perhaps a previous era when people had some basic Bible truths, you know, it was taught at school or something like that a little bit. And they had some connection to the church. And maybe there's some benefit to that, right? To have some moral understanding, some stable understanding of that. But it also brought a lot of drawbacks because nominal Christianity, I don't know if it saves. You know, one of my heroes is, is somebody named Billy Graham, who is one of the greatest preachers of the last century, maybe preached to a billion people in his lifetime through media or live and in person. And one of the things, he, he was an evangelist. He told people the good news and people would respond to God in faith by praying a prayer. But do you know there is way more than that? That, that, that becoming a, a, a baby in Christ is not where we're supposed to stay. Not just change our location on Sunday morning, but our heart be changed. Sin get ripped out of our guts. 
That's, that's the change that we should be looking for, and the church should be active in our mission to seek and save the lost 24-7, not just 70 minutes on Sunday. So Paul says to the church, by the grace given him, he is called to be an apostle, a pioneer, a church starter, a church planter, a theologian. He wrote maybe a third or more of the New Testament. And he says with this authority, some of you think really, really highly of yourselves. Now, some of us struggle with that too. Some of you don't. So you can sit back. But there are some of you who, it's jealousy, hierarchy of relationships is what you think about. We compare ourselves to others rather than being ourselves. And what we've already read, and we'll look into more, is God has given us each spiritual gifts. He has shaped us different. The reading this week in the book, especially starting around day 30, we'll talk about the shape that God has made you with. The shape being an acrostic, spiritual gifts, your heart, your experience. Nope, those, there's no E yet. Um, abilities your personality, and your experience. In particular, looking here, we see that God gives gifts. We need to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We need to have a humble, which doesn't mean we beat ourselves up, a humble understanding of ourselves. It doesn't mean that you think less of yourself. It means you think of yourself less. A little different. It's not that we beat ourselves up and say, woe is me. Paul speaks with the authority of an apostle. He doesn't apologize for it. It's a burden to bear. Sometimes we look at people with different gifts and we're like, I'd like to have Billy Graham's job. Read his biography. Maybe you wouldn't want that. We always want to compare ourselves to others. But if we would get God's perspective that I am not any more important than my brother or sister, that I am each, that I am important and you are important and we are each important, each of ourselves, how would that affect our interpersonal relationships? It would release us from jealousy. We'd find fulfillment in who we are rather than wanting to be like somebody else. Our friendships wouldn't be distorted by status that we're awed by some and we look down on others. We can appreciate people for themselves and not feel like, why aren't they more like me? There's a, there's a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws, and in it there's this nice little line that says, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I'm here to tell you, everybody loves you and they have a plan for your life. <laughs> they think you should look like them. They think you should do this that way. But we are to look at what, how God has made us and work together in cooperation, not competition. We are to be humble like the Roman army commander in Luke 7 who faith really amazes Jesus and he says, I don't even deserve to have you under my roof. James says it like this, God opposes the proud, but maybe you know this, he gives grace to the, okay, three of us know it, great, yeah. God gives grace to the humble. And so it, as we grow, our goal is not independence, but interdependence. Being dependent on each other. And how we get there is a sober understanding. 
think of yourself with sober judgment. That means you're not as good as you think you are on your best day, but you're also not as bad as you think you are on your worst day. A sober judgment, we ask others, what what gifts might I have? We don't take a spiritual gifts test and just say, well, this is what the test says. This is what I agree with. And you can do that on our website, suewesleyan.com slash death. And you should do it. And if you have the study guide that goes along with the book, at the very end, there's a, a shape profile that you can fill out. But it's just paper. Ask God. Say, God, I want to soberly understand the gifts that you've given me. God gives gifts, and the glory belongs to the giver, not the recipient. The glory belongs to the creator, not the creation. So there is an object lesson this morning. People love when you preach and use object lessons. You brought the object lesson this morning. You. Paul says, just like you have one body, and it has all these members, all these limbs of it, all of these components of it, so it is. In Christ, we who are many form one body. We see, and this, this is something, a word picture that's given throughout the scripture, an object lesson in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says Christ is the head of the church, that we each have our own part. There is this value of reciprocity, of the give and the take. There's this need for mutual respect and not jealousy. Well, I wish I was a hand. I wish I was a foot. I wish I was an eye. We have our part. And it talks about even... There, there are parts that we go, what is that part for? But it's so important. We sometimes will praise different aspects of a body. Maybe if you've been dating somebody, you've said to them, oh, what beautiful eyes you have. What beautiful teeth you have. No, that's Red Riding Hood. Um, <laughs> um, but we'll say like, well, beautiful hair, right? Like, do girls say that to guys? I, I've never had that said to me. I've had this haircut since fifth grade. Um, <laughs> There's not much hair, so you don't get complimented on it. But we'll say that about these things. But, you know, there's some hidden things about you that make you more who you are than your hair and your eyes and your teeth. You can actually live without hair or eyes or teeth. It's not wonderful. But there are aspects of your body you cannot do without. Think, uh, 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 you know, none of us say, man, look at the hypothalamus on that girl. Right? <laughs> Gland in the brain or whatever. Let me talk to you about one that's interesting. There's the, something called the pituitary gland. It is the size of a pea. Weighs about one gram. It's in your melon. And there's 10 or more aspects of living that we know of that this little thing affects. And if it's not doing its job, the whole body suffers. Jill and I got... Um, after we got married, um, we decided to, um, to start a family because that's what the cool kids were doing. But some of our friends, they were, they were like, hey, we're going to try and have kids. And then, boop, all of a sudden, she's pregnant. And if you don't know what boop means, ask your mom. Um, <laughs> so all of a sudden, they're pregnant. And, and, and like, it, it just happens. And um, July, boop, not pregnant. Like, um, not pregnant. And then another month comes, not pregnant. And then another year comes, not pregnant. And another year comes. And then you start thinking, like, we're young, we're healthy. You go to a doctor. Doctor says, you're young, you're healthy. We don't consider it after this, you know, this long. 
more time passes. You go back to the same doctor. Okay, let's try this. Let's try this medicine. No. Then you get, you know, another doctor. Um, we ended up at a doctor. Um, can't remember his name. We called him Dr. Beardface, even when I did know his name. Um, Beardface, um, actually. Um, and uh, so we see him. He does a bunch of blood tests. This is something he knows a lot about. And uh, so he, he figures out that there is something missing, um, that the pituitary gland isn't doing what it's supposed to do um, in, in, in Jill's in Jill's body, wasn't wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. This thing with a gram, the size of a pea, is not doing this. Those were some hard years. Um, and this sermon is not about infertility, but let me just say this. Um, be very careful. Some, some people who said some things to us, they were trying to help. They didn't. They weren't being very careful. Um, because, you know, there's situations like that, like, um, that it's not just, oh, it's the pituitary gland, here's, you know, we'll get that in gear for you. That one little thing started, you know, was, when it's working right in the body, starts a domino effect of things. There are things that need to be let loose in this church that we need you as parts of it, as limbs of the church, as members of the church, as this scripture would say, not technically members, though you can learn about that this week. Thursday night. You can sign up on your orange card. There's a membership class this week on Thursday night. You can sign up on your orange card. Learn about membership. How are we trying to organize as a body? On Thursday night. On your orange card. You need to do your part. You may say, my part's so insignificant. I'm so small. I only have a small little gift. This, I'm, I, I don't do what other parts of the body do. But we're depending on you. There is such a thing as healthy dependency. There is something as, as this interdependence that we need, that we don't outgrow each other, but we stay in sync. The only cells that grow however fast they want are cancer cells. And so each member belongs to all the others. Verse 6 says we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. There are plural amounts of gifts. Paul says later, if you want to know, in 1 Corinthians, he says something like eagerly desire greater gifts. It almost seems like we can say, God, I want more gifts. This week I asked him, God, I'd like another gift. He said, no. Didn't really like that. Didn't seem to bother him that I asked, though. He's a good father. He gives gifts, so I asked. We have different gifts. Let me just say this. Parents... Help your kids discover their gifts. Don't force your gifts on them that they're going to help them. The other thing I'd say about gifts here as it relates to age is if you're receiving social security, you still have gifts. There are many people who, it's, it's like you start receiving social security and then life becomes all about you. I don't see that in my Bible that your gifts expire. We have different gifts according to the grace 
given to us. I don't know anybody who has all the gifts. The gifts are not even for you, though. They're for somebody else. But when you're using the gifts that God has given you, when you're living out the design that he has, he has wired you with, you're going to like it. You might suffer, but you're going to serve. You're going to grow. You're going to share. You're going to be part of a, a mission that is way bigger than you that goes throughout the ages. So then there's a list in verse 6 through 8. I don't know how you read lists in the Bible. Sometimes like, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a list of gifts. There's a list here and there's a list in 1 Corinthians. There's a list other places in the Bible. I've got a slide here that will show you some of those. We don't get to invent spiritual gifts. There are some. They're listed for us. There's no spiritual gift of sarcasm. That's, that's just something, I don't know. That's, but this, we, we can't invent them. Thank, the scripture would list these. And, and there's some overlap of some of these gifts. But they're gifts from God. They're gifts from God. So here's a list in Romans chapter 6. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. It's kind of like preaching. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, would say there's three things when somebody prophesies. You speak to people for strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. You don't need to be on a platform to do this, by the way. To speak for somebody's strengthening, encouragement, and comfort, you can do that. But do it in proportion to your faith. Don't preach or prophesy what you're not proportionately living or God's working on you. Or Doesn't mean you have to be perfect, because if it meant that, I have to put down my Bible and stop preaching right now. But we can speak for the encouragement, the comfort, the strengthening of others. Verse 7 and verse 8, the first part of verse 8, have, have three then. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. Why does Paul say it like that? Why doesn't he just say, here's the list of gifts, serving, teaching, encouraging, contributing. He says, if you have this gift, use it. If you have the gift of service, serve. If you have the gift of teaching, teach. We have to be reminded of this because some of us have gifts that we're not using. One day you will stand before God and he will say, I gave you gifts. Why is it still in the box? It wasn't a collectible item. Wear that baby out. Use that gift for his glory. So if your gift is serving, serve. What does that look like? Oh, that's exciting. Because it can look like a lot of things. It can look like visiting the sick. It can look like visiting those in prison, looking after those who are naked and hungry and thirsty. Serving. Yes, all of us are called to serve. Some of us have the extra measure. And you look in this list like, well, I could do some of those things. I thought I was supposed to contribute to the needs of others. Yes, but there are some people God has put in a place. He's put them in the marketplace so that God can put some of uh, his stuff in their hands, and they can contribute it out. But you have to use your gift. Do it. Do it. So if it's encouraging, encourage. Some of you are amazing encouragers. 
one text, one thumbs up, one head nod can just lift somebody's spirits because you are an encourager. All of us should be, right? There's some of us, man, you're good. You're, you need to keep writing those cards. You need to keep sending those, those follow-up texts to say, I am proud of you. If it's contributing, verse A, if it's, if, if, next gift, if it's contributing to the needs of others, give generously. So if you have this gift, do it lots. If you have the gift of leadership, do it diligently. It's not just like, oh, I'm using it, but use it well. Use it big. If you have the gift of mercy, do it cheerfully. I do not have this gift, and I don't want this gift. No, I, but like, I don't. Like, so you do, though. You see somebody. Like, I see somebody crying, and I feel bad because I want them to stop crying. Um, <laughs> like, put out the fire. Please stop anything. Million dollars, Kleenex. Like, just stop. Um, no, I have little empathy. Little. Um, but some of you, 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 somebody didn't even have to be crying. I'm just, like, oblivious at times. And some of you can just feel you have the gift of mercy empathy what it's it, these aren't real christianese words here if you have the gift of showing mercy do it cheerfully not oh brother somebody's crying again better fix it <laughs> and be cheerful so yeah don't follow my example follow somebody else's aw tozer says this i'm getting near the end here um he says practice the presence of god daily and seek to know the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. You will go a long way in serving your generation for God. No man has any right to die until he has served his generation. Now, we don't get to pick when we die. And this is in scripture. This is just a quote from a guy who really sought hard after God. But boy, that last sentence hits me. You don't have the right to die until you've served your generation. We are alive in 2020. We are alive in the midst of this election year, this coronavirus, this economy, this everything. God has given us gifts for this time together. Quit sitting on your gift. Quit envying other people's gifts. Quit giving up because the proportion of your faith and your giftedness isn't what you... Just, it's time to come together in the great collaboration for the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. You will stand before God one day. Will you be able to say you put his kingdom first or does it look more like your kingdom's first? This is easy to say, yes. I want to serve in the church. You know there's a bunch of other little yeses along the way that says, I will show up to practice. I will show up to train. I will show up to get together with other people and start dreaming big God-sized dreams. How dare us sometimes come to God with these piddly dreams for the church and how the community could look. He is a big God. And he has given some amazing gifts to you guys. Let's put them together.
serve one another in love. So we're going to leave this place singing. We're going to leave this place consecrating ourselves to our Savior. So let's pray. Father, one day we will stand before you and see you. But right now, you are very much in the room. Uh, So now we want to bow our knees. Now we ought to. We ought to bow our knees in worship, adjust our calendar and our priorities to use the gifts that you've given us. Not look at them on the shelf like they're trophies. God, um, you're the head of the church. You're the head of the church. Help us to follow your direction, your guidance. Help us to stay connected with each other, because that will connect us to you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.